0: I kind of feel like just having the benediction and going home after that. (laughs) Praise God. Our God is enthroned and we worship him. Take your Bible and be finding your place in Psalm 100. Psalm 100, which we'll read together in just a moment. I'm sure all of you would agree with me that one of the things that perhaps mean the most to us it's whenever we receive a personal note of kindness where someone is express, expressing appreciation for perhaps something that maybe we've done or just by virtue of who you are, that kind of thing. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that as a pastor to get little notes of encouragement from so many of you. And, and I want to say how much I'm, I'm grateful for each of you in that respect who encourage my heart but there's something powerful and there's something uplifting when we communicate gratitude to each other a little note expressing appreciation can go a long way and the fact is you perhaps will be surprised at the number of times and opportunities that you have every single day to simply say thank you to someone else whether it be a spouse or whether it be a parent, whether it be a child, or maybe a co-worker, or maybe an attendant in the drive through line, you, you will be amazed at just the number of opportunities that you have each and every day to just simply say thank you to somebody. Now, if you trace the roots of our English word thank, as in thank you, you'll discover that it goes all the way back to a Latin expression that means to think so, that there is a close relationship between the word think and the word thank. I thank you because I've had thoughts toward you concerning some kindness that you've shown on my behalf. Or I will think of you when I think of what you did for me. That's kind of the idea behind the word thank. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, that word thank progressed from simply being a favorable thought or feeling to a thought that was directed then toward another person, eventually to an expression of that gratitude. So when we refer to thanksgiving, we're not simply talking about feeling appreciative. No, thanksgiving is showing appreciation. You understand the difference. Gratitude is not just something that I experience towards someone for something that they've done on my behalf. Gratitude is something that is expressed. You can't help but express gratitude if you've truly experienced gratitude. Which is why this notion of thanksgiving is so very important. Because thanksgiving is the expression, the tangible expression of our gratitude. Gratitude. Now, when most people think of Thanksgiving, they tend to associate it with the holiday on the calendar more so than the attitude that's experienced in the heart and expressed to someone else. Maybe maybe Thanksgiving sort of calls to mind those images of pilgrims and turkeys more so than thoughts of prayer and worship and devotion. And yet, even as a holiday, I find it somewhat ironic that Thanksgiving manages to get lost in the shuffle of all that's going on this time of year and I had a very real illustration of this in our cul-de-sac where I've got one neighbor that literally has their yard decked out already in Christmas trees and snow people and their immediate next-door neighbor still has this 12-foot tall skeleton and creatures of the night coming up out of the (laughs) yard and I thought about that, and I thought, hmm, there's a pretty good illustration, you know, for a sermon. Not that I'm Ebenezer Scrooge, and, and, and I'm frowning on all of you who are already in the Christmas spirit, but I'm just simply saying that Thanksgiving is really important, not just in terms of a calendar date, but really an attitude that's to be cultivated in my life yearly and on a daily basis. Because I'm as guilty as the next man when it comes to wrestling with this spirit of ingratitude that just seems to come so natural to my flesh. I find it easy to complain about my circumstances, or sometimes words of criticism seem to come more naturally than those words of appreciation and gratitude that I can express to those around me. And the fact of the matter is, all of us will say that we recognize God is the source of all that's good in our lives. But if we were to be honest, it doesn't automatically translate into a daily attitude of thanksgiving. Because the simple fact of the matter is, we all possess this self-inclination toward ingratitude. It's something we inherited in Adam. It's something that's characteristic of sinful human nature. And ingratitude really is a polluted spring from which a host of other sins flow. For example, if ingratitude is a real issue in your life, I would go so far as to say that so also is greed and covetousness. So that when we're intentionally cultivating an attitude of gratitude or thanksgiving in our hearts, in some ways that really safeguards us against greed and covetousness longing for that which we don't have, while taking for granted all that we do have. Nancy Lee DeMoss, uh, some years ago, she wrote a book in which she said, After decades of ministering to hurting people, I've come to believe that a failure to give thanks is at the heart of much, if not most, of the sense of gloom, despair, and despondency that's so pervasive even among believers today. She said, I believe that many of the sins that are plaguing and devastating our society can be traced back to that persistent root of unthankfulness that often goes undetected. And I would say she's absolutely spot on. uh, Because the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, when he's talking about society as it rejects the knowledge of God and sort of spirals into just this sinful, chaotic uh, self-destruction, Uh, He says in verse 21 of that passage, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. So that ingratitude is characteristic of a society that's really on the cusp of spiraling in to moral chaos. So this attitude of gratitude then is something that's got to be cultivated. It's got to be recaptured in our own hearts and lives as believers because when thankfulness is truly present in your life, it will also be accompanied by a host of other blessings. And so that's something that the psalmist has much to say about here in Psalm 100. Now, I want to just mention, uh, as way, by way of introduction, this psalm sort of is, is the last of what many have referred to as the royal psalms. The psalms that just simply present God as being the king that he is, who is, who is enthroned, who is ruling, who is reigning, who is sovereign. As such, he is worthy of our worship. And more than likely, this was a post-exilic psalm that was accompanied uh, with, with worship in the second temple. And so you'll notice the language of worship that's used here in these five verses in this 100th psalm where the psalmist is issuing this invitation to give thanks to God when we consider who he is and all that he's done in our lives. Now, here's what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to read it in just a moment, but I want us to read it together. That is, as I'm reading it, I want you to read it with me. And I'm reading it in the ESV, uh, so if you want to follow along on the screens as you read, uh, you can do that. All right, so Psalm 100, verse number 1, let's, let's read this together. The Bible says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing." Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations." Aren't you grateful for that wonderful truth? And so I want to speak this morning from this subject, the grace of gratitude. The grace of gratitude. Now, we'll dive into this psalm in just a moment, but before I move any further, let me just mention two things by way of introduction. Uh, Gratitude is one of those things in your life that is also connected to contentment. And what I mean by that is, is, is simply this. Grateful people are content people. And content people are also grateful people. So that there's really this inseparable link between gratitude and contentment in life. Thankful people, they're not restless and always looking over their shoulder for something else to satisfy their wanderlust. Uh, Thankful people can say, with the Apostle Paul, who said this in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he said, the result of that will be peace in your life, which really surpasses all understanding. It will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says this, a few verses later, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. And it's interesting that he makes that statement considering the fact that he's writing from a Roman prison. Uh, He's experiencing his own share of physical pain and discomfort, but Paul is saying that's really not the source of my joy, it's not the source of my contentment. Paul understands something about the secret of gratitude and contentment because two times in that passage he says, I have learned to be content." I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he says this in verse 13. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. That is contentment in who he is in Jesus Christ. Gratitude to the giver of all good things. This produced within the apostle Paul a supernatural sense of joy and contentment that really transcends one's physical circumstances. And so I would say that there is this link then between gratitude and contentment. And then something else to consider, there's this link between gratitude and joy. Have you ever thought about how thankful people are truly joyful people? So that there's just this correlation between joy and thanksgiving. Where there is gratitude, there will be contentment in a person's life. And where there's contentment in a person's life, there's going to be joy that will exude from that person's life. Again, I go back to Philippians 4, where earlier in that passage, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so there's this relationship then between gratitude and contentment. There's this relationship between gratitude and joy. And so it should really be no surprise to us that here in Psalm 100, which is a psalm for giving thanks, the psalmist begins with just this statement, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Why? Well, because we've got reasons to be thankful. As worshipers, as those who have been the recipients of God's grace in Jesus Christ, you and I have got an abundance of reasons for which we ought to be thankful and cultivate sort of a sense of gratitude in our own hearts and lives. And that's one of the things that I love about the psalmist. Uh, The psalms are the ancient hymn book of God's people, and you think about the different types of psalms that you find. You've got psalms where the psalmist seems to be on the mountaintop of life, and he says God is worthy of worship even on the mountaintops of life. And then on the flip side, the psalmist also writes psalms where he's in the valley in the low points of life, and he says even in the low points of life, God is worthy of worship. And so you've got psalms that reflect prayers. You've got various psalms that ref- reflect praises and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. And so here in Psalm 100, notice it is a psalm for giving thanks. Because what we find here is a hymn of thanksgiving that calls us to worship, that calls us to make a joyful noise to the Lord for who he is and all that he's done on our behalf. Now, I want you to notice three things here about gratitude from Psalm 100. The first thing that the psalmist mentions is that really life is an opportunity for our gratitude. Hence, his invitation here to give thanks. His invitation here to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now you know that thanksgiving, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you've studied your Bible, you know that thanksgiving is really a major theme in both Old Testament and New Testament. That word thanksgiving, or, or thanks, it occurs some 68 times in the pages of the Old Testament. It's found an additional 63 times in the pages of the New Testament, so that everywhere you turn in your Bible, you discover that the, the, the pages of the Bible sort of drip with gratitude and words of thanksgiving. Now again, more than likely, you'll notice that the heading to this particular psalm Uh, carries this description a psalm for giving thanks at least that's how it's translated in the ESV if you have an older translation it may say something like this a psalm for praise but the Hebrew word that's used here is a word that literally means thank offering which indicates that this is a psalm that accompanied sacrificial offerings of gratitude that the worshipers presented whenever God had given a particular deliverance or had met a particular need in their life. In the Old Testament, you discover that there were really five different types of sacrifices that were prescribed by Old Testament law. And one of those sacrifices was a voluntary sacrifice known as a thank-offering. Leviticus chapter 7 refers to these thank offerings, which were all voluntary, and, and they were just simply offered by grateful worshipers. And so, that Hebrew word, thanksgiving, this means to acknowledge God, as in recognizing His character, His gracious works. And so, the word literally has this idea of the extension of the hand. You think about God's, God's hands extended to give, you think about our hands as we extend our hands in worship and gratitude, or even the illustration of maybe praying hands. It's really symbolic of that attitude of gratitude that we're, that we're describing here. So in this psalm for giving thanks, the psalmist immediately calls us to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And the question is, why? Why? Well, because we have so many reasons to echo our gratitude. It's not hard to think of the abundance of reasons that you and I have to offer thanksgiving offerings to God. Because every day that we live literally affords us a storehouse of opportunities to declare our thanksgiving to God for who he is and all that he's done. And yet at the same time, it's evident that for many of us, responding to God's grace with just this humble, profound sense of gratitude, that's not always something that shows up in our daily lives, is it? Because it escapes us most days because it's easy for us to take things for granted and to fail to intentionally cultivate a grateful heart. And so if you're waiting for gratitude to come around and sort of zap you like lightning, I hate to tell you, you've got a wrong understanding of what gratitude really is. Because it's not just simply an emotion that you feel, it's an action that you show. And as such, it's something that you can intentionally grow in. The fact of the matter is that as Christian men and women who are growing in our faith, we should also be growing in our gratitude. Because the longer you walk with this God of grace and, and, and the more uh, into Christ's image that you're being conformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that that should do in your life is make you a truly grateful person and content person. And so, ingratitude, this is something that just easily worms its way into our hearts and into our habits. And it's the taproot out of which grows a host of other sins. Listen, if you don't lay the ax to that root of ingratitude in your life, then it will give Satan an advantage over you. He'll worm his way into your heart, into your life, all through just this attitude of ingratitude. I don't know if you realize this or not, but to a large degree, your emotional health Your your spiritual health, I would even say your physical health and well-being, the stability of your life, the stability of your relationships with other people. Do you know that all of that is affected and even determined by the level of gratitude that you have in your life? So that when you're a thankless person, that takes its toll out on you physically. If you're a thankless person, let me tell you, I guarantee you, the rest of us know it because your face shows it. It it, it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. You realize that? But then think about the, the damage that this, you know, takes out on even your relationships if we're not grateful, if we're unthankful. We tend to become prickly people, bitter people, soured people. But you see, a child of God who truly understands the grace of God and, and, and gratitude is being produced in that person's heart and life, you can't help but be a joyful person, a peaceful person, uh, a radiant person. And so don't buy into the lie, really, that your circumstances determine your joy. Because even though your circumstances may be less than stellar, the Spirit of God can produce the fruit of joy supernaturally in your heart and life And accompanying that will be just this profound sense of gratitude to God for who He is and all that He's done in your life. And so listen, what we need to do is really make it a goal to have a heart that's as grateful to God as the abounding grace that He's poured into our life. When I think about the immeasurable grace of God that I've experienced, I mean, it's an immeasurable reservoir. Why is it that, that, that gratitude seems to be like, a, like a, a barely trickling stream flowing out of my life at times? Would to God that the, the flow of gratitude coming from me be as abundant as the grace of God that has flowed into me? And so would you describe yourself as being someone who's truly satisfied, truly content in life? Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that contentment is the same thing as complacency. Because there ought to be a level of holy ambition that we have. But the kind of contentment I'm talking about comes from understanding who you are in Christ, that your joy transcends your circumstances. It's the joy that's accompanied by knowing that your sins have been forgiven, that Christ is your treasure, that God has given you all things richly to enjoy, that he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness. And so all of this should just uh, result in a profound sense of gratitude that's being intentionally cultivated in my life. Or you may be someone who's constantly on that quest for more. Feeling like you never have enough, you're always out for something else, whether it be uh, possession or whether it be experience. I mean, let's just be honest, we live in a consumer-based society and society around us constantly tells us that, that the key to happiness in life is found in just more stuff. I mean, we've already been bombarded by the advertising this time of year, haven't we? You know, if you just buy this, if you just get that, then everybody's going to be happy and you're going to be satisfied and all such as that. Now listen, if happiness was found in having more, then don't you think that the folks in Hollywood would be the happiest people on the planet? But in reality, the opposite seems to be true because every day it seems like we're reading about the latest Hollywood icon and and their string of divorces, just constantly trying to find something to satisfy their, their aching, longing heart, knowing that there's something that they need, but it's something that they're lacking. And the irony of all ironies is that oftentimes where there is more stuff, there will also be more ingratitude and less contentment. Some years ago, I I preached through uh, Ecclesiastes, and I remember one of the books that I read in preparation for that study was a book on happiness, and in that book, the author had something to say where uh, she referenced a, a study known as the happiness index, and basically the happiness index was a study of the nations around the world and the happiness levels of those nations. And what that study revealed was that the nations which tend to be the larger nations with the bigger economies and the most stuff, which we would say the United States is a materially blessed society, there's all kinds of opportunity, the world's largest economy. You would think that the happiest nation on earth would also be the nation on earth that has the most stuff. But that's not what was discovered in the happiness index. The United States was way down the list of happy nations. And at the top of the list were nations that you and I would think are third world nations, nations that perhaps you've never even heard of, places like Togo and Benin and places around Africa and other parts of the world, where the happiness index ranked higher in those nations than even our own materially blessed society. So listen to me. That reveals a profound truth that the more you have, that doesn't necessarily mean the more you're going to be happy and content. Why? Well, as a Christian, you ought to know the answer because of fallen human nature. The more stuff that we tend to have at times, rather than that fostering a deeper sense of gratitude and contentment in our hearts, oftentimes it appeals to our greed, and we fixate upon what we don't have rather than being thankful for all that we do have. Joe McKeever is someone that I've read uh, his, his articles that he's written on leadership. He's been a pastor and just a, pr- a tremendous leader. But some years ago he told a true story about a church group that traveled on a mission trip uh, to the island nation of uh, Trinidad and Tobago. If you want to know where that is, it's it's, it's a little island nation roughly seven miles off the coast of Venezuela. You know, any of those Caribbean nations, you know that that's a destination for a lot of vacationers and travelers from the Western world. But also, those that are sort of native islanders in those situations, many of them live in just the profound levels of poverty, despite there being resort, you know, entertainment centers in different places around their islands. But This mission trip was to Trinidad and Tobago, and one of the things that the group did, they went into a leper colony where they had a service in a a small chapel there. And so um, you can imagine how that would just be etched deeply into the minds and hearts of each one of those team members. Here they've gone into this leper colony. But there's one scene in particular that stood out among all others. And McKeever writes about this, and he says, when the pastor and the leader of the group announced in that little service, in that leper colony, we have time for one more hymn. Does anybody have a favorite? He noticed that there was a lone patient that was seated awkwardly on the back row, facing away from the front. And at this final call for a hymn request, with, with, with great effort, this woman slowly turned her weakened body in the pastor's direction. And she didn't have a nose. There were no lips, just bare teeth. And She raised her, her bony nub of a hand without any fingers to see if maybe she perhaps might be called upon to appeal for her favorite song to be sung as the last one. And in a broken voice, here's what she said. Can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And the pastor stumbled out of the pulpit Out of the door of the chapel, tears were running down his cheeks. Another one stood up to lead out in that hymn, singing arguably in what was probably one of the most, what we would consider, unblessed of any spots on earth, a leper colony of all places. And a friend comes to the pastor out there in the the courtyard outside that little chapel, puts his arm around him and says, bet you'll never be able to sing that song again, will you? To which the pastor replied, oh, I'll sing it but never the same way again. Now listen, imagine yourself there. Can you imagine the sound of of, of the voices in that leper colony singing this song? When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Or what about this stanza, when you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings, money cannot buy your reward in heaven nor your home on high. Now listen, we of all people ought to be the most grateful because we of all people have experienced the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can understand what the psalmist is saying here when he says, make a joyful noise to the earth, to the Lord, all the earth. Come into his gates with thanksgiving. Approach this gracious God who's been so good to you who's blessed you immensely, far more than you deserve. Bless him, worship him, praise him. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so grateful people can count their blessings. And we see all of life as an opportunity for gratitude. Now, there's a second thing that the psalmist mentions about gratitude, and it's this. God is the object of our gratitude. If life affords us opportunities to be grateful, then we need to recognize that God himself is the object of our gratitude. Uh, Notice that the psalmist mentions the covenant name of God here in the text at least four times in five verses. And he refers to him at least 12 other times through pronouns such as his or he and him, so that there's just a cadence to this psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, and so on and so forth. And so the point that's being made here, it's unmistakable. Gratitude isn't simply for something, but always to someone. It's not that we're just simply grateful for our blessings. No, Thanksgiving means that I express my gratitude to someone. And who is that someone? Well, it's the Lord God, the covenant God of Israel, the one who's revealed himself to us, the one uh, who gave his only begotten son to suffer and die, God incarnate on Calvary. And so my gratitude isn't just simply for the things that I've been the recipient of, but I'm grateful to the giver of all good things. He's the source of blessing. And all blessings flow from him. And so when the Bible speaks of thanksgiving, it never does so in sort of this general sense, but it's always specific, and it's always directed toward a person. I I, I recently read an article that was... um, written by an atheist philosopher who had been a successful writer, and he described an experience that he had walking along the beach early one morning. There was a sunrise, beautiful sunrise coming up out over the water. The waves were crashing there on the shore, and this atheist philosopher said that it shocked him to just sort of begin experiencing just this feeling of appreciation and that he really didn't know why he was experiencing these feelings of appreciation. He didn't know if he should express his appreciation to the universe for providing such a moment. He didn't know if he ought to be appreciative to you know, the, the, the planets or his lucky stars for aligning such a specific moment for him to be able to enjoy. And it just goes to illustrate the blindness of fallen humanity where we recognize that there are gifts that we enjoy, but oftentimes there's a disconnect between our enjoyment of the gift and the one who gave the gift. Right. You and I can say, thank you, God, but we know the artist of such a moment. We know the one who hung the sun where it is, who put the stars in the night sky. We know the one who told the sea in its proud waves, this far you can come and no further. And so when we're in that moment, we can say, thank you, God, creator. Sustainer, giver of all good things. So that my gratitude, then, it's not just simply for something, but it is to someone. Now, you apply that to your relationships with people in your life, too. The people who've done things along the way for you, the people who've made an investment in your life, the people who daily provide services. The relationships that you have with people, the the little things that that people do that oftentimes we tend to take for granted. We ought to be thankful for those things, but listen, we ought to express our gratitude to those people for those things. Which means that some of you may leave today, and you may need to just have a real heart-to-heart with your spouse that you've been taking for granted lately and say, Let me tell you, I want to thank you for what you do in our home to make our house a home. Or you say, I want to thank my mom or I want to thank my dad for making sacrifices that I don't really know about. And I, don't, I know they make those sacrifices, but they don't put it out there and hold it over my head. But I just want to thank them. They make sacrifices that I don't go without. You see how that works, folks? Gratitude is not just something that I experience. It's not just for something, but it's to someone. And that leads to this thought also. Gratitude is not merely experienced, but it's expressed. In other words, it calls for action in my life. That's what thanksgiving is. You can't have thanksgiving without that word giving. And giving requires sacrifice. Giving requires action. Giving demands that I do something in response. And so even though thanksgiving is a noun, we really should think of it as a verb or an action word because it's giving thanks. And look at all of the the verbs there in Psalm 100. I find here at least seven verbal imperatives here which call for action on my part. And it illustrates this all encompassing action that's associated with joyful gratitude. Make, serve, come, know, enter, give, bless. So that thanksgiving really results in praise and and praise is merely the spontaneous acknowledgement of that which is valuable. What we find beautiful, what we value in our lives, we will naturally praise. And so with respect to God then, our gratitude, this is communicated through praise, through worship, through obedience, And so then that brings us to a third point that the psalmist makes here about gratitude, and it's this. Worship really is the overflow of our gratitude. If life affords me an abundance of opportunities to be grateful, and God himself is the object of my gratitude, then I need to understand worship then is the overflow of that gratitude in my life. Because notice what he says there in verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so here's an invitation then to come before the Lord with a joyful and a thankful heart. And you see this in light of its prophetic fulfillment in Jesus Christ because it's Jesus who gives us access to the Father so that now the gates are opened wide in welcome for you and for me. The invitation now is because of Jesus, through Jesus, I can come in and I can have fellowship with the King of heaven. Now listen, this is something that no Old Testament worshiper really could have experienced in the fullest sense. Because even in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and later the temple, when the worshipers came for worship, they could only come so far and no further. They had to have a priest that offered as an intermediary on their behalf. And then even all of those priests that served the people, even they could go a little bit further, but they still couldn't go but so far. But there was only one in Israel, the high priest, who could go in behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on behalf of a grateful nation. And so it's not insignificant then when Jesus died on Calvary's cross. The Bible says that at that very moment, the veil in the temple which separated the holy place from the most holy place. It was torn in two from top to bottom, so that now here's the prophetic implications of that. Through Jesus Christ, who is my high priest, I can come boldly before the throne of grace. I can be a joyful worshiper who can draw near to God in worship and praise because Jesus ushers me into the presence of my God. And so is there any reason why the psalmist is saying here, even perhaps prophetically, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Because here's the invitation that goes out now to both Jew and Gentile, to all the nations of the earth. Come through Jesus to God the Father. There's an open invitation for you to worship. But you've got to come through Jesus. So now, here's the, the thing. We have this privilege of being able to Enter the gates with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. I'm reminded of something that the prophet Isaiah writes about in Isaiah chapter 1 where God says to his sinful people, his, his ungrateful people, idolatrous people, he's saying, why do you appear before me and you bring your sacrifices? Who's asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? The idea was that there was no real gratitude and worship that was being offered, but everything had just sort of been reduced to just this, these motions that the people were going through. And their hearts ultimately belonged to idols. And God says, you come close, but you're doing nothing but trampling my courts. It's the opposite of what the psalmist is describing here, entering the gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. There's a difference between entering the courts with praise versus trampling the courts. To illustrate it, let's just say that you go over to the botanical gardens and the arboretum that's there at High Point University. I don't know if you've ever been over there and you've seen that, but it's beautiful. All of those lovely plants and beautiful bushes and flowers and everything else that's over there. But when you're there, you've got to be extremely careful because there's a, there's a set path that you walk. You don't trample the flowers if you went over there and you decided to just set up shop and do whatever you wanted to do and start pulling up flowers and uprooting plants, I guarantee you, you need Uncle Bain would probably have somebody that he'd send you away, tap you on the shoulder and say, you need to come with us, sir, yeah. ma'am. No, you wouldn't do that. Why is it someone would trample such a beautiful scene? Well, I can think of three reasons that they would do so. One reason may be that they're clueless I mean, just totally clueless as to what it is, where they are, and that kind of thing. They say, well, I didn't realize that this is what this was. Another reason they may trample such beauty would be because they're careless, and just they're not paying attention. And they may say, well, I just didn't notice. I'm, I'm sorry. And even then, a third reason that some folks may trample such beauty is because they're calloused. And they may say, I don't really care about your signs. And I don't really care about your, your carefully marked pathways. I don't really care about your flowers. Because to be calloused is to be hardened toward that which is beautiful. Now listen, I thought about that, and I think, here's an invitation to corporate worship. And why is it that oftentimes we don't value corporate worship, worship in the corporate sense with the gathered assembly of God's people, any more so than we do? Well, it may be, number one, we're clueless. Even still, it may have to do with the fact that perhaps we're careless and we begin taking such opportunity for granted in our lives. We begin taking the gifts of God and the grace of God for granted in our lives so that we shift into this way of thinking and operating where I think that the whole world really just revolves around me. But even still, and worse of all, is that we're often calloused and unconcerned. And that's, that's our natural default position as fallen, sinful human beings so that God, in his grace, he's got to do something in terms of heart surgery in my life and in your life in order for me to be a real worshiper, a grateful worshiper. The Holy Spirit has to do something where my heart is calloused. He's got to take away the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh where that God in his grace has to save me and rescue me from my sinful condition. And the beauty of it is the result of being saved by God's grace is that God makes you a truly grateful person. No longer do you trample the flowers of his mercy, but you can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, G. even in the midst of life's difficult seasons, even even when those blessings of God come in the disguise of painful experiences, if you know Jesus and the spirit of the living God is resident within your heart, you can still say, thank you, Lord. And that's the secret that Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter four. And so why why do we worship? What reason do we have to worship? Listen, and I close with this. The psalmist says two two overarching reasons. Number one, we know that the Lord is God. Again, notice one of those verbal imperatives there in verse number three. It's that word know. Know that the Lord is God. In order for you to be a grateful person, there's something that you need to know. Not just something that you need to feel, but there's something that you need to know. You need to know who God is. You need to know that he is God. Specifically, the Hebrew text says it this way, Yahweh is Elohim. Yahweh, the covenant name of God I am, he is Elohim. Elohim is the name of God which reflects his creative power. It's the name of God that's used in Genesis chapter 1, describing the creative acts of God, whereby He speaks creation into existence. And so, if I'm going to be a grateful man, I need to know that the Lord, He is God. Which means when I find myself in difficult circumstances that are beyond my control, rather than criticizing, rather than caving into fear and despair and despondency, I can have a grateful heart that says, God, I know that you're in charge. You are God, you're seated on the throne. But not only do I need to know that the Lord is God, listen to how the psalm concludes. I need to know that the Lord is good. Because it's one thing for us to know and realize that He is God and He's sovereign and He's omnipotent. But it's another thing entirely for me to know and believe that He is good. And it's easy to make that statement, God, you are good, when you're experiencing the material abundance of life. But it's a little bit harder when you're having to make that statement living in a leper colony. And when your body is literally falling apart. Let me ask a question of you, a very personal question. Because some of you perhaps are there in your own life. You feel like your life is falling apart, your world is falling apart, you're in the middle of some circumstance or someone's abandoned you, someone's betrayed you, someone's wounded you, you're, you're hurting, there's pain. Can you say with, with abandon that God is, he is God, the Lord is God, and the Lord is good? Because if you can make those two statements, my friend, you are well on your way to cultivating a real attitude of gratitude in your own heart and life. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Oswald Chambers said that the thing that awakens the deepest well of gratitude in a human being is that God has forgiven sin. To know that my sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, that God has separated my sin from me as far as the east is from the west, and that he's given me of his spirit, and that his love is everlasting, his grace is immeasurable. Oh, this is something that Causes me to want to respond with such gratitude in my own heart and life. The reality is, all of us have had a mighty river of grace that every day it's flowing into our lives. While if we were to be honest, there's an inconsistent trickle of gratitude oftentimes that flows out of our lives. Where there is no praise of God on my lips, there's no valuing of God in my soul. No comprehension of God in my mind and thus no gratitude of God in my heart. I don't know about you, but listen, let's determine to change that by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. So that we can echo the words of the hymn writer, thanks to God for my Redeemer. Thanks for all thou dost provide. Thanks for times, but now a memory, thanks for Jesus by my side. Thanks for pleasant, balmy springtime. Thanks for dark and dreary fall. Thanks for tears by now forgotten. Thanks for peace within my soul. Thanks for prayers that you have answered. Thanks for what you do deny. And Thanks for storms that I have weathered. Thanks for all you do supply. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen. Are you a grateful man or woman? Can you truly say thank you, Lord, for all that you've supplied? Here in just a moment as we sing, you know, some of you may just need to respond in a visible way, tangible way this morning and just come upon bended knee and bow at an altar and say, Lord, I just want to come to say thank you this morning. You've given me so much. Thank you for my salvation in Christ. Thank you for the family of God to which I belong. Thank you for my children and for my mom and for my dad. and Thank you for friendships that I have in my life because life would be so lonely if it weren't for the people that you've blessed me with. And so, Lord, this morning, we just come to just simply say thank you for who you are and all that you've done. Maybe you've never been saved this morning. In the first step to truly being a grateful man or a woman, listen, it's, it's acknowledging your sin before God, bowing before Him in His grace, by faith, trusting that Christ died for you on the cross. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for you so that you can become the righteousness of God in Him. And the good news of the gospel is that whoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And so, Lord, this morning we truly say thank you. Thank you. And God, this invitation to come before you with thanksgiving, it's only possible through what Jesus Christ has accomplished. You've been so good to us, Lord. We've got so many reasons for which to give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.